What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G from the Fight Game Podcast. We have another bonus episode for you this week before John and I get back to recording our usual show on Thursday. This episode is one that we recorded about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. It is our We Want Flair uh, solo episode on the Barry Windham versus Ric Flair match, Battle of the Belts 2 from, uh, I believe it was February of 1986. This, uh, you know, we're giving you these uh, bonus episodes that we recorded uh, a little while ago as we get ready to bring the We Want Flair podcast back as a part of our regular fight game podcast. So if you are in our Facebook group, I have linked this match if you want to watch along. I've also linked this match in the show notes. So if you are not in the Facebook group and still want to check out the version that we watched while we uh, discussed this match, definitely do that. And John and I will be back on Thursday night, Friday morning to talk about uh, the Wednesday Night Wars. There's some. There's two really good shows, head to head, NXT and AEW, as they close out the uh, the calendar year for wrestling. And uh, because we're also going to see Rise of the Skywalker, uh, we'll probably have a, a short review that we will uh, probably have spoilers in it. But we'll we'll make sure that if you want to see that movie and you don't want to hear spoilers, we'll we'll make that uh, make that point so you can just turn the podcast off. But uh, okay, so check it out. We want Flair. This is episode two. Ric Flair versus Barry Windham, Battle of the Belts Two. Uh, and this one, we're going to talk about Flair's match with Barry Windham at Battle of the Belts Two. Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite all-time Ric Flair matches, and a match that a lot of people don't talk about today. Even though it's an award-winning match and, uh, you know, the people that around then that seen this match talk highly of it. But nowadays, it's kind of been forgotten by a lot of the newer fans that have joined wrestling. Probably, you know, they heard about the great Ric Flair matches, the Steamboats and the Funk match and everything. But this is the one I hope it brings some attention to it again and new fans can check it out and enjoy it because it's, it's, it's an amazing match. So I think where we should start is with Wyndham himself. Probably now underrated as time has gone i would say so yeah definitely i mean he was one of the best in 1989 1988 sorry was like his i think he's at his peak right when he uh turned heel and joined the horseman and he was just uh, on fire and and uh and he got you know and it went ended up going to wwf and it kind of things kind of tailed off but he's always been sensational he's one of my all-time favorites i don't, I don't think I've ever been bored watching a barry windham match and i did some looking at some old matches with him and some even later in his career, like he had a match. I didn't really, I didn't even know they even wrestled again, Flair and, and Wyndham. I know. And they had a match like on thunder and I watched it and it was actually still pretty good, you know, and Wyndham looked, looked good. So, uh, let's, let's go back to, you know, kind of predating this match and, and get Barry Wyndham up to February of 1986. So most everyone knows blackjack Mulligan is his father. I couldn't really find out who who did his who trained him. Uh, Wikipedia said Mulligan and Harley. Um, when I asked uh, our buddy uh, Big Dave, he said he thought the Funks could have been involved. Uh, you you had you had brought up you know being being in Florida, there could be a tie there. Yeah, I think I was thinking maybe Hiro Matsuda. 
I'm not sure if Bob Roop was there at the time, and that was, maybe that was later on when he was there in Florida. But I mean, I'm sure like like any old wrestler back in the day, they start off here, but then they got thrown in the ring, and then they kind of kept learning as they gone. And and uh, he picked up really fast. I mean, if you watch his, uh, if you go on the WWE Network now, they have all the old Mid Atlantic uh, matches from like '81 where he was Blackjack Mulligan Jr. Mm-hmm. And uh, he looked, he could tell like he was going to be something special in the ring. So, uh, previously to the, you know, there, there's, he's wrestling in Florida. Um, he has, he wins their version of the heavyweight title a few times. And then he goes to WWE mm-hmm. with Mike Rotundo, um, and, and their, and their tag team his his brother-in-law, Mike Rotundo. Um, and they win the tag straps in WWF. I said WWE. I'm probably confused. I'll probably do that a few times. Uh, he won the tag stra- uh, straps with uh, Rotundo. Um, in just three months of being there, they beat uh, Adonis and Murdoch. Mm-hmm. Have you, had it, what, what, what do you remember about that match? Um, I think it was a shorter TV match. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't remember. I just, remember, I just know those are two hell of a tag teams you know murdoch and uh adonis was fantastic rotunda and Wyndham had this great chemistry the u.s express that was their that was their name mm-hmm. and uh they were the early part of the expansion right and an early part of the the big with along with hogan the big you know go usa go you know and then had a big feud with uh, nikolai volkoff and uh iron Sheik for the tag titles i think most everyone knows this that real american was originally their song very true that is true uh, so then uh, they lose the belts at the first WrestleMania to the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, and then win them back uh, very soon thereafter. But uh, they would then lose to uh, Valentine and Beefcake, who are then set to kick off their their stuff with uh, the British Bulldogs uh, uh, a little bit later. Um, I think that was that would have been late '85. Um, and so by the time the second WrestleMania rolls around, they are out of WWF. Yeah, Wyndham's when actually Wyndham's gone. I think Rotunda after Wyndham left, they they put him with Dan Spivey. They just played. Hey, let's get another tall blonde <laughs> guy and throw him in there, and they just didn't get. Uh, they just couldn't get as over as um, as Barry and Mike because you know you can't replace Barry Wyndham with the uh, Dan Spivey. You know Dan Spivey was a up and coming project you know Wyndham was so polished in the ring and and, and a super worker uh, a little bit after this match that we're going to talk about uh Wyndham and Rotunda would be at Wrestle Rock 86 against the Fabulous Ones yeah I remember that match and the Fabulous Ones were heels and they, they, they had an issue with Jerry Jarrett in Memphis and they left for the AWA and they were brought in as a heels, and they feuded with uh, the, the Road Warriors. And, of course, they had a match at Wrestle Rock with uh, Mike Rotunda and uh, Barry Windham. And so, uh, you know, a- after this match, uh, you know, he, he's, he's back in Florida feuding with Ron Bass. And then he comes over to join the Crockett side in 87, and he has that run with the Western States Heritage title. And then the stuff that, that you were talking about in 88. So... That's where we are with Barry Windham. Uh, have you seen those matches with Bass? Um, I've seen, seen. I'm trying to remember. God, it's been such a long time. Like, was this the Yellow Dog stuff? Was this the uh, the saddle match where basically he Bass wins by cheating, and then basically it's kind of a funky. It's a humiliating match, right? You win. You strap a saddle. <laughs> to the guy's back and you ride him around the ring it's 
it sounds funky and sounds kind of perverted now, you know, but like back then, it, yeah, I've never seen that footage and it got a lot of heat during that, 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 that studio match there in Florida, the sportatorium as they called it. So, but yeah, and then, you know, that after that, around that time, he's building towards his title match, right? So, uh, Flair, where's Flair at this moment? Uh, we're just, uh, Two months after the uh, the Starcade match with him and Dusty, where uh, Dusty Dusty wins the title supposedly, and then you go check out the next week's TV, and they Dusty finish it. Flair's still the champ, and at this point, uh, I believe he is a three time champion. Uh, and this match takes place in February of 1986, February 14th. So that would be Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine's Day and this and that Starcade also was, I always say the basically kickoff of the uh, the Full Horseman, right? Because Arn Anderson comes out and interferes and all that. So yeah. All right. So Battle of the Belts two. Do you, what do you remember about the first show? Because uh, uh, I know Flair and Wahoo McDaniel had a match, um, but uh, but I you know I've never seen the full. Actually, I haven't seen the full version. Of either of these three Battle of the Belt shows, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen them. But the three main events were Flair matches. Yeah, Flair and Wahoo was. If you've seen Wahoo McDaniel uh, before and Flair, you expect a lot of chops, a lot of hard hitting. I really like that match. That was a really good match. Um, the third one is Flair versus a very, very, very young and green Lex Luger, and Flair really carried that. Luger into like a really good match and Luger looked good and you know for his experience level at the time like it was something to see what Flair did with him and uh you know that Luger definitely looked like a future star and Luger was also on Battle of Belts 2 yeah he wrestled uh Jesse Barr who was Jimmy Jack Funk later on in the uh WWF and then he would win the Southern Championship I believe it was so um just a little bit of information about the battle of the belts, like the idea. So, you know, I, I had to go to big Dave on this one to, mm. to kind of like, what was the lineage of this show? And you know, what was the deal? And so he said that, um, Sam Mushnick, Eddie Graham and the bruiser had wanted to do semi, uh, I don't know if, I don't think they were monthly, but maybe quarterly or something. They wanted to do, Cards where all three territories kind of, you know, did a card together and uh, and then to be syndicated, much like Battle of the Belts. I think it was syndicated yeah. in I, I don't know where I think the, the version of the match that we saw, I think it said Dallas or something. Fort Worth, Fort Worth, okay, Texas. Fort Worth. Yeah. So uh, so that was the idea. But something happened to the satellite. And so they never did them. And I think this show may have had a little bit of lineage to that idea, uh, you know, Eddie Graham, by the time the first Battle of Belts happens, he's already committed suicide. Mm. Uh, he committed suicide in, uh, f- I think it's uh, February of 85. First Battle of Belts is in September of 85. And this one, so it's, it's like the one, it's really like the one year anniversary uh, of, of him passing this, this second Battle of the Belt show. Yeah, that was, uh, that was horrible. And then, you know, Dusty at the time was, I assume it was booking at the time. And, you know, Dusty likes to do these big events, right? The Great American Bash, Starcade. So Battle of the Belts was like, a you know, one of these big events he wanted to put on. And it's basically the, the predecessor to the Clash of Champions in the NBA. Yeah, it's 
there may be some loose lineage from this show to the clash because you know you're t- you're only talking uh what like a but like a year and a half later right yeah yeah from I'm, the third battle of belts i know it was technically a counter the clash champions Wounds was a counter to uh wwf putting on the royal rumble against the bunkhouse stampede in 88 mm-hmm. but i'm sure dusty was like hey we used to do these live syndicated special events in florida called battle of the belts let's do something let's do something here and i think that's where class of champions was born all right so um so the the, the so this match uh is is the main event and flair does an interview with buddy colt former wrestler buddy colt former wrestler buddy colt and i thought it, I, th- I thought you know it, it was ju- it was an interview just an interview but they were clearly clearly you know flair's coming into florida he's the mm-hmm. champ here's your you know barry windham local going for the championship to put over flair coming in as like this is this is the real deal I, that that was really it was really cool to see buddy colch was just like I think you're the best guy. Yeah, yeah, and he even said he wrestled a lot of great champions, four world champions in his time, and he's even though he's never been in the ring, Rick Ric Flair, he he can see that he is one of the best, or he's not the best world champion of all time. And this is a little interesting uh, uh, trivia note: the big gold belt the, is actually this is the first match that Ric Flair used the big gold belt in. So that was a little, and he did, you know, he, he debuted on world championship wrestling, but this is the first event that he brought it out there and defended it. Gordon Soley and Mike Graham are putting this belt over like crazy as flair comes into the ring. what did you think of the, uh, Gordon Soley and Mike Graham together? I, I thought they were good. I thought they were fantastic. Yeah. You know, Mike Graham would, would, you know, cause Florida always brought the wrestling aspect. They really brought the amateur wrestling. So I like, I really like listening to Mike Graham's color commentary, like detailing the holds mm-hmm. and the counter holds. Like it just rewatched uh, like that really stood out before. Like, I didn't really pay attention too much. He's always, always, he's always, he could paint a picture. I remember Leo McGurk who was blind you know, one time I told him that, you know, he can actually just see the yeah. match. So like, I was like actually sitting there and actually closed my eyes a little bit just to kind of see, and then you can just, the way he describes the action. So, so it's amazing. And I thought like Mike Graham too was right there with them, you know, at, during the color commentary and explaining everything in detail. Yeah. The, he, he was definitely trying hard to explain the wrestling side of things, why guys were doing this. When, when, uh, I think flair, Flair tosses Wyndham over the top rope after the ref gets bumped. And Wyndham goes over the top, and he made it a point to say that, you know, when Wyndham's back hits the apron, why that hurts and why, you know, and why it's not just falling all the way down to the to the floor. It's also what you hit on the way down. Yeah, and they, they sold that big. Now guys take pile drivers on it, and they wrestle <laughs> another 10 or 20 minutes. So <laughs> times apron, have changed for sure. Apron power bombs. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so uh, after the interview, <clears throat> I was just—it almost not that it like I was just kind of shocked because Flair comes out to Phil Collins' easy lover, and I think he always came out to 
Phil Collins, Easy Lover. I don't know. I'm, there's something weird. Florida and Flair coming out with the different songs. I think he might have came out in world class with a different song, right? Too. If I'm, I don't remember what it is, but uh, yeah. I mean, I remember. You know, it's funny when I saw the entrance. I just, I said, I know we we're gonna talk about this, <laughs> and I loved it because I'm like on this '80s kick right now. I listen to just '80s music all day, especially '80s pop and stuff, and Phil Collins, and so I just. But you know what? Flair worked it. Flair worked it. He came out. He looked great. I like, I miss the the close ring entrance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the way that they shoot it through the crowd. You see him coming through. It just it felt, it felt epic to me. Yeah. No, no, no It was great. Uh, so th- I think the reason it tripped me out is because I want to say that Saturday night's main event also uses this song on one of their episodes and so i think that's why it kind of tripped me out it was like a cutaway song like towards like well, yeah, a, yeah 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 it was like a, near the end of the show or something and they're going to commercial or or whatever and so i was like wow this is weird but it's funny because it has nothing to do with a guy it's more of well i mean the guy who's chasing this girl right basically mm-hmm. uh, she's an easy lover like has that it's just just wacky just, just uh, using pop music yeah yeah something that's popular for the, at the time um so the the other thing I, I i wanted to bring up about the interview with buddy colt is buddy colt basically tells rick he goes you know what do you think Wyndham as the challenger he's got everything to gain mm-hmm. you as the champ you have everything to lose and like that's not something that you really think about when it comes to this stuff but think of the UFC, I think it was, um, who's the fighter that said he didn't necessarily consider himself the champion because he felt like even as the champion, he had to go win the belt the next fight, knowing that, you know, it's going to be just as hard to was stay Corm- champion as as it was to, to was be Was it Cormier, champion. maybe? Or is it GSP? Or, I, I, don't, I don't remember. But just that whole mentality is kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, and then I'd never, you know, never really paid attention to it when it came to wrestling. But the idea that, yeah, like to be the champion, you're constantly throwing back challengers and you have to be on your toes even more than the challenger does. Yeah, I thought the promo was really good um it got a little long towards the end i think uh, buddy cole got a little crossed up or something and flair <laughs> flair protected him a little bit and but i like flair is just like he was professional classic champion but as a teal he'll throw in like just some cocky arrogance like you know it's gonna be me i'm gonna retain you know it's all you know in the end i'm you know he's gonna give a probably value ever but i'm gonna beat him unfortunately you know just flair was just i think i, I really liked flair's promos during this 85 86 because he didn't become just all everything was always crazy rick flair yeah, yeah, you yeah. know I, I i this it's a good point that you bring this up because as we go through the match I do want to talk about the psychology of who he is because I there's I don't think he cheats once in this match, right? Like mm, well, he does the uh posting. Okay, but when, but Wyndham posted him too though, didn't he? Afterwards, yeah, okay. revenge, yeah. But, okay. uh, um yeah, it was a lot of wrestling. 
and like like Florida's built on a lot of wrestling. As if you watch a lot of Florida, I mean, of course, there's a crazy blood brawls with like Dusty and Pac Song and etc. But like you know, the basis of a lot of Florida matches. Which, that's why I like Florida a lot. Mm-hmm. Watching Florida footage, there's a lot of good hold to hold uh, matches. So, um, so as we get to the match. Um, <laughs> just one more thing about the interview. Wyndham, he was like in the ring for like five minutes, just waiting for them to get through this interview. Yeah, and then when they and then after after Flair gets in, they go to another they commercial break. Commercial. So yeah, a lot of waiting around for this this interview to get done and all that. All right. So uh, as as a match, uh, you mentioned at the top of this that it's one of your favorite matches. You feel like it's almost forgotten a little bit. Definitely. What do you think? Um, what makes it that classic? Is it is it the sort of the like you said? They're just they're just doing a lot of wrestling. Um, is it sort of the young uh, hometown challenger versus the champ? Like what what is it that makes you say that? It's just a mix of everything I like about wrestling. The the crowd is hot from bell to bell. I mean they're loud and that thing. I mean I don't know. I think most people should mic the crowd like this because it's like you can hear the crowd on everything. And it just felt epic. It was presented as being epic. The, the work from both was fantastic. Um, it's my, like I said, it's my, t- of my, you know, my, my fandom of Ric Flair, as you know, is my favorite. My top match is him and Terry Funk. I quit. Yep. The famous match. Uh, Flair Steamboat, Wrestle Warrior 9 is two. And this is number three. And honestly, honestly, I really liked. Windham as opponent more than Steamboat really but uh, t- this match stuck with me for once I saw it because I, I was like one, the Battle of the Belts was like something I, I would like look for as a tape trader mm-hmm. and one because of Lex Luger wrestled Ric Flair on, on the third one Yep. and so of course me as a completist like I had to not only watch the third one I had to watch the first second and then when I got to the second I saw this match I just remember being just, just, just like wow I remember like Calling my friend Tom Caster, you know we I'd call him all every match I watched probably that was like, and I was like, dude, you have to watch this match. <laughs> it's like one of the best. And, and, and even uh, my friend Oliver John, we we talk about this match. We, yep, you know he we talk about Wyndham a lot. And I remember we, we one time we were just talking about great matches. This was like early on when we first met each other, Oliver and I. And we were just bonding over just our love for old wrestling. And I was like, do you remember Flair versus Wyndham? And we just like talked about that for like twenty minutes. And did did Oliver speak back in his Ric Flair impersonation? Oh, uh, that was later on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, so they they had probably what three pretty famous matches like that people yes. will talk about so this match there's the crockett cup match mm-hmm. and then there's a match on worldwide in 87 january of 87 which is probably their most famous because that's the one that people talk about that's the one that's been a lot of flair dvds and and stuff that wwe's produced they always seem to throw that match out there um i think maybe the window and flair one from battle belts is on a flair dvd i I, I, I used to have them on. I'm sure I still have them, but I don't know where they're at. But um, this is, yeah, this that, those are the three famous ones. If I'm going to rank them, I would go Battle Bells first. I would go 87, uh, Worldwide second, and then I go Crocker Cup 
third. A lot of people like the Crockett Cup a little bit more, I think, because it's it's shorter. It's like 20 minutes or a little over 20 minutes. Because there's, there's an edited and an unedited version of that yeah, match. Yeah, you highly high recommend finding the, the unedited handheld version of that match, which is not which is professionally handheld. It was done by the newscast that was did the did like a little not expose on wrestling, but they're talking about wrestling because mm-hmm. you know, the popularity of wrestling is still high in 87. Yep. All right. So, uh, just a couple of things that stood out to me, you know, as I'm watching very early on Flair almost gets decapitated by the top rope. What was going on with that top rope? Um, he hit it wrong. He didn't hit it correctly. When you don't hit it correctly, you can snap back and be very dangerous and you get injured. And I, I think he just, I didn't think he just rushed that. For some reason one of the very rare mistakes you see flair make and i know that, that was scary that could have been it and he needed some time because bill alfonso the referee for that match goes to him and 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 and, and flair says hey give me a little bit and then bill alfonso pushes back barry windham and, and so windham gives him a couple and then, but fuck flair flair was right back to it you know and and, and it was he's like the, he's lucky he's lucky that could have been a really 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 bad don't don't worry. You can curse. Yeah, I was <laughs> this podcast. I don't know. I'm in Fight Game Box Studios, man. You know, like I don't know. Um, so it almost looked like he got like whiplash. Yeah, that's what happens. Um, and so he he's in the corner. He's kind of you know he's kind of rolling around. And the way that Gordon Soley, uh, I think it was Soley, says uh, why Wyndham is not attacking him. It's because Wyndham's a sportsman. Yeah, he, he he's he's giving him he's giving him a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's ultimate babyface man, and then and uh, that's what I love. And Gordon could paint that picture better better than you know. But I mean, Jim Ross and him are the all time greats. You know, uh, Lance Russell. I love Lance Russell. It's one of my all time favorites. But like you know, Gordon and Jim Ross has had that ability to really paint that picture, especially with these classic classic title matches. So if I have an issue with this match and it has nothing to do with Flair and Wyndham, the camera work is really interesting in this match. I think, at least as far as I can tell, there's one guy. There's two. There's a hard oh, cam. There there's, a, there's a hard cam and the guy in the corner. Okay, so the, so the guy in the corner, whenever they go to him, like the zooming is out of control. It's tight. Like he's uh, he, like he. You can tell he's like stepping down and stepping up, and then the camera goes sideways. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a there was a there was a spot or there was a there was a, a submission hold where Barry has Rick in the abdominal stretch, mm. and this guy gets so close on Rick's face. He almost goes up his nose <laughs> like he like he gets really close and then he zooms out and then he gets even closer. And I'm like, I can see I can see a brick flares nose. This camera is so close. So I had to get used to that mm-hmm. um, because that guy was driving me nuts. But once I got used to it, then, you know, it was actually, fine. Actually, thinking back now, I think it's a three camera shoot because there had to be a guy on. If you look at the hard cam right side of the ring, because he had to catch the moments with the outside with the posting and from that angles. But it was weird when I, when I watched it again, this is just a production view. Like why they put that guy on that. He was on a standing on a table mm-hmm. in that corner, which you look at the hard cam. He'd be on the left side. Why is his butt to the hard cam? He should be on the side mm-hmm. of the ramp. Mm-hmm. So you don't really see him too much or yep. he doesn't really distract you. That was a very interesting production error. I thought, and it's not like there was no rooms 
to the side. I don't know why they they did that way, but um, but I thought some I know some of the shots were close, but sometimes like when he was on, like it brought you into the ring, which I liked. Um, I also thought this match was very interesting, and if you watch old Flair matches, like he doesn't throw the chop just like right away. Like, you know, later on his matches that he would go to the chop quickly. Like uh, within like the first minute, he would throw in chops. And later on, he was all about the chops, right? Chops and low blows, it seemed like. Yeah, and he wasn't he wasn't really pulling Barry into the corner. He's using it mm-hmm. as a move and that and Barry just bumps immediately off of off yeah. the chop. And you would think and you would think too, like a lot of times early on, like, okay, here's gonna do the chop, but he was just like throw a right, Barry block it, throw a punch. Uh I thought that was interesting, and it was cool to see Flair wrestle more a lot of drop toe holds uh scissors in the legs like stuff really cool stuff and i think you know people for you know they remember maybe rick flair from you know his run in wwe with uh with the evolution or whatever and like um like i don't think they they or they, they see the flair the steam matches but if you go back you know further he wrestled a lot more for sure yeah now you will get your classic flair tropes you're gonna mm-hmm. see the reversal of the figure four, mm-hmm. um, which is, I know, your favorite. Yeah, I love it. Because it hurts so much more when you reverse it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, getting posted to the outside. Like, those are classic flair things. Yeah. But also, at the same time, you don't get some of the other things. Like, he does get tossed off the top rope, mm-hmm. but it's only once. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, he's not pulling Barry into the corner and throwing chops, you know, 24-7. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more of like, they're, they're, it, it's a wrestling match. And only when it gets hot near the end, then they're like, okay, shit's on. Now we're going to start punching mm-hmm. and, and doing all that stuff. So uh, it was very, the pacing was really good. And, um, you know, the intensity and, and all of those things, they were able to, to kind of pick that up as the match went on. So um, the thing I wanted to ask you about, well, there's two things, but one of the things that I thought was so awesome, and maybe this isn't even selling but just the exhaustion mm-hmm. right the way that that both guys not selling for sure I mean, or it's just or it could be real like just just really being tired but yeah but they like just i was watching this going like this the, this match must be like the hardest thing to get through because they look so tired mm-hmm. and they're just beat up and at some points it looks like okay this match is over because I'm just too tired. No, and then you know, and then and then they make a comeback. So, um, explain like try, I don't know if you can't explain it, but like how does that work in 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 matches where you're trying to to show the fans that this is not just a you know this is like a really hard thing to do, and thus you get so tired inside the ring. Well, I mean, they're building a story. They're they're telling a story of the exhaustion. It's a long physical match, right? They're they're showing the uh, the pain, the suffering you go to. Like a lot of days, like matches today, today's wrestling. They do a lot of great moves and they're great athletes. But they don't give them time. These guys time to actually sell the you know sell these moves and give you know make it impactful for what they just did. And that's my big issue with wrestling today. And this was it's such a refreshing to see this kind of match where guys got time to sell what they did. Like, you know, Flair getting caught with that big layer off the ropes and, you know, Barry, you know, hitting it and not just bouncing up and pinning him like going for a pin attempt. You know, he, he struggled to get to that pin, you know, and Flair was, you know, selling like, oh, shit, is he, is he going to get is he going to lose the title if he get, and, and, you know kicks out? It's. 
I miss that in today's wrestling. I know a lot of times, let's be honest, it's just, it's, you know, these guys got what over 30 minutes to tell the story. Nowadays, you know, guys don't get that time, especially on TV. So, but like when you see, I see a match that does get time and you still see it in matches like with a Tanahashi, with an Okada. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, that's still out there, but it should be more. And I think a lot of times guys are just mostly into the athletics than actually the storytelling. So, um, the one, the one match, and <clears throat> this is going to be, this is sort of an evergreen podcast, but, uh, to where, you know, it's not really timely or newsworthy or anything, but the one match that I recently watched, which I thought they did a pretty good job with this is, uh, something that we've talked about before, which is the AJ Styles and Samoa Joe match from, Australia, yeah, yeah and good. there was uh, there there was a lot of like AJ as a smaller man mm-hmm. having to put this much bigger man who's kind of like dead weighting him in a sense. It's so much harder to put someone like Samoa Joe in the calf crusher than it is a small guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so that struggle, showing that struggle, and both guys just beating the crap out of each other and not being able to spring up immediately and get to the top rope and do a moonsault right like it's a struggle and i thought i thought that match did a good job at that but this one is it it seemed to be just you know another level of of that oh yeah it's it's the it's the best of the artwork of pro wrestling right and like i I think it's good to give times guys time to sell a move register the pain selling it like you need to give people the time so it just brings you into the match more yeah i mean it all it's to me like Sometimes I get kind of like I see all these like a lot of big moves back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Then like I appreciate the athletics, but like I don't get invested into the story. Mm-hmm. And luckily, there's a guy in Hiroshi Tanahashi today that that you know is one of the all time greats that I've seen ever. That still does this classic storytelling even as he gets older. And you know he's the closest thing I got to like for me that that the remember reminder of the great the great the great work of the seventies mm-hmm. and the, in the eighties. So there's only one move in this match where me at watching mm-hmm. through the eyes of, of a child would be like, Barry Wyndham, dumb baby face move is <laughs> he's just been in the figure four, then he reverses it, and Flair's laying in the middle of the ring, and then he tries to do like a knee drop on him, and of course Flair moves, of course, and then he bangs the knee up. Uh, that was the only, I think that was the only one that I that I really saw dumb dumb babyface move Barry Windham. And it was kind of like a, a re, uh, Flair getting him back because Flair actually missed the knee drop and that's what led it to the mm-hmm. figure four later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I know. Well, you know, sometimes a guy takes his chance, right? He goes. Uh, There's also a cool little spot that you know he was working on the knee and was you know doing the um, you know you hold the arm out crushed crushed with the knee like you know moved and hit his knees you know they don't see that much anymore it's all nice a lot of side headlocks which was uh something <laughs> we talked about how you don't see and i was thinking we were all watching the, uh we were watching you know to kind of give us time stamp of when we're doing the show watching the impact wrestling's bound for glory like i don't really want to slap it on a hold at all through like three hours of wrestling yeah yeah i mean there was a guillotine in the main event i mean some submissions but, but like yeah nothing like an arm bar like a, you know like a like a or, or a side headlock it's just it's it's, it's it's interesting now wrestling today is definitely definitely different yeah okay so so here's here's where i want you to explain the psychology of rick flair so flair is definitely the heel mm-hmm but he doesn't really purport himself 
as a heel in this match. He more so purports himself as the champ. Yes. And like I mentioned, you know, there's there's very there's there's a couple of moments we explain where he he does do something, you know, that that might be cheating. Um, but also, I, I you don't see this from the the bad guys that that much. His selling, like he he's he uh, Barry puts him in a sleeper hold, mm-hmm. and Flair's got to sell that he could be going out. And as the champ, there's a moment where I think it was Gordon. Who was like, is he gonna? Is this gonna be the way he loses his title? And it's almost as if Flair could hear him because the next second, Flair puts the hand up to show that he's not, you know, he's not dropping the arm down for for three times. And it sometimes like it's sort of like a babyface kind of thing to mm-hmm. do. But that's really what I noticed in psychology here is you're almost pulling like you could pull for flair to because he's you want him to keep this title and when when he's connecting with the selling i could see people going like oh i really want rick to win this match Mm -hmm. well i think flair was it's not presented as like this dirty dashly heel he's rick flair the nba world champion Mm -hmm. this great champion coming into our territory our town wrestling our babyface wrestler our favorite fan favorite whatever and that's what you know so he's still a great wrestler um later on he'll turn it on and maybe because now the now this young kid this young gun is might pull off this win and take his title maybe now he has to pull into his little bag of tricks and become the dirtiest player in the game but it's not it's not like an over-the-top low blow it's you know but it's it's still something dirty when it's the ring post Mm -hmm. you know and then that just adds more heat from the crowd like this guy i can't believe it wow you know they're they're having a good wrestling match it was toe-to-toe now he stoops to this kind of level and it just brings the fans more closer to the match and they gets them into their behind Barry because that's what Flair wants ultimately he doesn't want to be cheered yeah he wants people to feel Barry go for this championship and that he wants to make them feel that Barry is going to be crowned champion tonight and, and and at the end not for not and then come back again and draw some more money and you know you, you sort of mentioned it but um Barry being more over not even having to win the title just because of the the way that that flair uh puts him over in this match is is a big is a big part of it as well because you know they 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 go they go to a double count out mm-hmm. they both go over the top rope um and and so they go to double count out but like even in those moves where i was saying you know flair's like in the sleeper hold like just like the mere fact that he's almost going out man yeah. like barry is this close to winning the title you just don't see that a lot in wrestling today well, yeah, and then also think too. You got to like put over the fact that this guy's a great wrestler. Me and Ric Flair, like mm-hmm. he's a great champion. So like, it's gonna take a lot to beat him, right? And in the day, the ultimate go- uh, goal of the NWA champion at that time, going to territory, territory, is to leave the territory in a better place as he got in. So so makes so when he comes back, they can draw more money. That territory can draw more money now with the hotter Barry Windham. And when he gets back, the territory is so healthy where they can. You know, draw a big crowd again for a rematch. So, um, <clears throat> Big Dave told me that this was originally scheduled to be sixty-minute draw. Yes, but they went over length time, and because of the TV time, mm-hmm. they had to shorten the match. And so, it's I think it's like forty-one minutes or something. Yes, yes. So, I'm thinking, what what could have they done for twenty more minutes? Because they had like. 
everything in that 41 minutes. So I'm guessing that they got the call before the match that, hey, we're not going to go Broadway, not going to go time limit draw. It's going to be a double count out. So we're cutting it from now you have like, I guess let's say they have, you know, you have a 35 to 40 minutes, right? And so that's probably why the pace in this match was a lot quicker. I think if they would have had the full 60, it would have been a lot slower in the mm-hmm. beginning for sure. Interesting. Um, but yeah, you know this is uh, the, this was a this was a really good match, and and I think the main thing, especially for people who might be not to say that they have to be newer fans, but just people who really didn't grow up like we did in the '80s, um, and who may have may, may have come through in the Attitude Era, which mm-hmm. is where a lot of the wrestling fans came through. To be able to see something like this uh, is is definitely. A lot different to, to what you to what you think, and I think some people would probably think, "Why does this start so slow? How come I don't? How come I, he didn't hit the V trigger yet?" Right? <laughs> but like, just this is where you know when you asked me about Gordon and Mike, and I was like, "Yeah, they were good," but this is where them being good at what they were doing helps the pace of that match. Because they're they're filling in all the gaps of where you know Rick's walking around and Barry's walking around and they're just kind of looking at each other like they fill those gaps definitely of of what of of what they need to say to to kind of you know not make it feel like you're just walk looking at two guys walk around the ring yeah I mean, it's not it's not a boring style I mean, not, I mean I'm saying that because I grew up on it and I love it but like if you really watch what they're doing it's fantastic and each level builds to the next thing and next thing and next thing it builds to that big lariat that 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 Wyndham delivers it builds to that second lariat out of the corner which was which is awesome i even popped again for it I, you know and uh it just tells uh, it just he just brings you right into that match i you know, suspend, suspend disbelief so young kids if you're gonna watch this match turn your phone off <laughs> stop looking at instagram models <laughs> check out this match and just, and just appreciate some beautiful art of pro wrestling and uh, I guess the uh, you know before we get out of here, one of the things that is was pretty cool to see is uh, Barry Windham. Uh, how tall was Barry? They used to always say six six, but I want to say what six four maybe. Okay, because I mean he just looked long because he was so lean. He's long and lanky, yeah. Uh, long lanky. He looked much probably much taller than he actually was, but I mean he he hits a drop kick off the top rope, right? Yeah. That, you would you could see in in matches you know as not even anywhere close to being a finish it's just like a sort of a transition move mm-hmm. to whatever but the fact that he hit i'm watching this match and i'm going oh shit he just hit a drop kick off the top rope even though i see i see this move like mm-hmm. all the time right so it's just the way that they set up the moves and and the, the, he sets it up because there was a ref bump and then um and then I think Flair's checking on the ref, mm-hmm. and as he's checking on the ref, Wyndham turns goes around the top, yep. and he turns around, and boom, drop perfect. kick. Yeah, that's perfect. And Wyndham being so tall and lanky, and he kind of always had the, he's such a he's such a fluid guy. Like he would float into that drop kick on the top rope. I've seen him do that drop kick many times. He hits a great one in the Crockett Cup match with Flair, which is like highlighted on like the height the Crockett Cup video. I remember seeing that, like wanting to see that match just for that drop kick yeah. alone. And uh, he also does a good one against Lex Luger at the Bash 91. <laughs> I mean, if, uh, you know, the, 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 the first pay-per-view I ever fell asleep watching as a kid oh, God. Uh, was that. Well, I woke up enough time to, enough to see that match. But, uh, you know, Barry's career is interesting because, like, he was, you know, great. Hit his, was fantastic in 88, left in 89 to go WWF. 
And I believe he took time off because his dad and brother were going through some legal troubles. I think I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I'm, I got to be able to talk back with Dick Dave and confirm. And then he ended up back in WCW in 1990, in April of 90, as Battle of the Horsemen again. And then like, he got hurt again. He didn't come back until you saw him as the fake Sting and Halloween Havoc, which blew my mind as a kid. <laughs> and then he got a little life when he turned babyface against Lex Luger, I really liked that run him and Ron Simmons against Luger, Mr. Hughes. And then 92, I mean, he was in the battle danger Alliance. He was just, his work was awesome. And then I just loved the lone wolf, Barry Windham in 93 when he's on his own, Ric Flair is coming back. He didn't want to, you know, be with Ric Flair. I'm not a, I'm not a horseman anymore. I'm a lone wolf, right? And I just, and unfortunately he hurt his knee again. Yep. And they, and they took the belt off him at bash, bash of the beach, 1993. And we didn't see him for another year. He came back heavy in slavery, 94 flair. And then he was out of the game for a while. And then, of course, and people remember the, the uh, West Texas rednecks, right? He, with Kurt Hennig, yep. he came back in better shape, but he's still, still never the same with that knee injury. And I don't think he ever, I don't think he ever got that passion that he once had. You know, I think he came back. I think he saw the money that, you know, you can get for the Monday Night Wars at the time. And then, of course, he went to the Stalker. The Stalker before that, mm-hmm. it was a Stalker mm-hmm. with WF, which, God, see, that's how much I remember that. I even forgot about it. But he didn't really do much then. I don't know. I just, and then the Blackjacks gimmick, too, in WWF. Yep. He just never really. Never got to that peak again that he had in in in, in eighty eight. He had glimpses glimpses in ninety two, ninety three, but eighty eight. If you really want to see Barry at his very 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 best, lean, mean, trim, a uh, little Jack too. Like watch stuff in eighty eight, especially that match with him and Dusty at Bash eighty eight, flying all around the ring for for uh, for Dusty and also Bam Bam Bigelow at Starcade uh, that same year was. One of my, I love that match, and and Jim Ross is like super fan, <laughs> super awesome in that match. Yeah, I would love to read a book or see a DVD of the Barry Windham story. A little bit of a, uh, there's a little bit of like sort of a mysteriousness to to him in a sense that, um, and I think there's even you know when 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 Magnum gets hurt, mm-hmm. I think they kind of turn to Windham and go, okay, like he's going to be one of the guys that helps us, you know, replace Magnum. A, a big mystery has always been, and I know people have all those different theories. Like why wasn't it Barry who beat flair on September of 87 instead of Ron Garvin? Like, I just felt like that should have been the guy that beat flair at the time. And I, I don't know the reason behind that. I don't know if they, why, they, why they thought Ron Garvin was the one to go to instead of, you know, I know, I don't know. I just don't, it just doesn't make sense to me. It kind of just, for me, it seemed like it came out of blue, even though they had the, the precious program with Jim Garvin and, and you know, and then Ron Garvin was involved in that too. But I still think that Wyndham would have been the perfect choice. And a lot of people said, Oh, Wyndham didn't want a short run, which is BS because like who wouldn't want to be the NBA champion at that time. It meant something very sure, important. Sure. Totally. Um, all right. So anything else that we need to add to this? Nah, I think we covered it. And this is a lot, a lot of fun doing these podcasts. We want flare podcast. Cause it just brings it back to memory lane. Gives me an excuse to go back and watch these great matches. Yeah, totally. That's why I love them. Now I gotta think, I know it's, a, it's my duty to come up with the next match usually. So, uh, I'm going to have to think hard and, uh, find a hidden flare gem that's out there. It doesn't even have to be hidden. It could just be, we just want to tell the story of what, you know, why this thing happened. So yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so uh, John and I uh, record at the Fight Game Podcast weekly, 
usually on Thursday evening, Friday morning. Uh, and so, you know, go ahead and listen to that. We, we don't do that in, in person. So, you know, it's a little bit of Skype and, and, mm-hmm. and telephone. So it might sound a little different than this, but, uh, but yeah, we will try to get back to the, to this podcast as much as possible. Um, you know, it, it, and it gives us a chance to hang out too. So that's, what's also fun. Yeah, man. It's, it's always a great time. Thank you. All right. So uh, for John and I, uh, we'll check you, uh, check you later for episode three.